Hello, faithful and unfaithful listeners alike. This is the second part of a two-part conversation, so if you haven't listened to the first part, circle back and listen to the episode before this. Also, Lee and Simon touch on some difficult material, including suicidal ideation. So, please proceed with caution. (coughs) Oh, Lord, (coughs) mercy. I really need a mute button for my... uh... Sorry, somebody Lee. has somebody has not netted today. I'm waiting for my midlife midlifing branded neti pot to arrive. I think we should just go with a midlifing branded neti slash douche pot. So we just go with like rather than doing both, we need to get some some class designers on, don't we? A neti like douche, a, a neti douche. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. So you could you yeah. Well, for, Midlifing neti douche for all yeah. your RFI. For all your... <laughs> that sounds like a. Okay, never mind. Thank you. This is a podcast in which two friends have serious conversations about silly things and silly conversations about serious things. I'm Simon Ellis. And I'm Lee Miller. Welcome to Midlifing. And he wore a suit because he understood that how people viewed him and the others in that march mattered and that they couldn't they couldn't pigeonhole him and write him off as being a lefty hippie. Yes. Because he was wearing a suit. Mm-hmm. And I reckon Extinction Rebellion, it would be an utterly different thing if they stopped wearing so many brightly coloured garish clothes. I think they w- it would utterly transform that uh, organisation. Hmm. Isn't that obnoxious? It's a little bit obnoxious to say it. But I think he's right. I think he was right. I don't think your dad was obnoxious to recognize that because he's talking about something from the inside he's talking about an embodied experience of being dismissed as somebody who is in the process of protesting so his observation is not obnoxious it feels that we are weirdly less able to absorb difference when we are in a group oh it's so interesting what to me what you've just said is so interesting it's part of being in a group is actually not absorbing difference. Mm, but I was watching, what was I watching? I was watching either a Studio 54 documentary or a Halston documentary. But there was some, some footage from Studio 54, the, the New York club. And it would have been the late 70s, I guess. It's uh, heyday. Sort of, yeah, yeah the, the kind of high disco sort of yeah. terrain. And what was fascinating was watching how different... Everybody looked in this oh, space. Within, you mean to each other? Yeah, they were all different from one another. Not as uh, indifferent to from the way we look now. But there wasn't a sense that there was something uniform in the display. And I would say probably, although not exclusively, but probably this felt like quite a, it felt like quite a queer landscape. It was a really rich tapestry of, of, of different displays of selfhood through costuming. Oh, beautiful. Can you just, uh, I'm just wondering, because I'm not all of our listeners are so versed in, let's say, queer theory. When you use the mm-hmm. word queer in that context, can okay, you describe right what you mean? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm using the word queer here. Uh, Also, that's just a sneaky way of saying, can you clarify for me what you mean? When I say queer in this context, I'm, I'm, I guess, queer as in connected to narratives of otherness in direct competition with heteronormative ideas like the disruption of 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 the, norm of yeah. normalcy of, Normal- of, normalcy? of normalcy normality heteronormativity specifically the idea that sex is connected to procreation and is connected to the idea of the nuclear family unit and and so queerness is the unsettling of all of those narratives or, and, or as a verb to queer something yes to queer the pitch we might sort of you know oh, historically it's almost a sports it. metaphor i think i also use the term queer in relationship to something like studio 54 because it's just a little bit more broad than sort of saying lgbt or lgbtqia plus because that's connected directly to questions of sexuality whereas i think queerness in the kind of it's just got a slightly broader frame of reference there obviously are questions about whether or not it's appropriation me using it but it just sort of expands the terrain slightly away from an explicit debate about sexuality to include questions of otherness so I, I would I would say that the thing about queer theory is queer theory grows out of feminist studies. And so there is absolutely a clear overlap between feminism and, and, and queer theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is there's, there's that stuff happening as well. And, and I think at the inception of feminism and queer theory as an overlap, once again, there was more shared territory than I think perhaps we might understand now where... Gee, we're good at siloing, aren't we? Yeah. Boy, we're good at it. I think one of the things that... It's really easy for me to say this makes me really sad because I, I, as much as I'm trying to educate myself about these territories, I do very easily sit outside of it because of how I display. Yeah. And so I'm not going to be pulled into any of these narratives mm. just because of, of, of how I look. Or so there's sort I... of safety and there's effectively implicit or no explicit safety because of how you, as you say, display. Absolutely. And also because of it's and it's not just display, but it's how I choose to live my life. I, I, I live my life in a very heteronormative, a very non-queer way. I am a married man with a mortgage and a dog, and I do all of those things which to the outside, you know, I've not had a same-sex experience as an adult, as a kid, mm. but, you know, but like, but by that I mean prepubescent kid. Yeah. And I'm not sure that that counts as a, I'm not sure it counts as a sexual experience. Yes, I, and I say, I mean, I don't know what the numbers are, but I, I'm pretty sure that's an incredibly common uh, experience for I don't know about for girls, but for boys to have same-sex experiences prepubescent. We, we're effectively talking playing doctors, aren't we? Exactly, exactly. And so, and, and yeah. so, my my prepubescent experiences span gender. Yeah, I'm not sure you can tick the bisexual box. Yes, no, I agree it, I, that, exactly. Yeah. I, I yeah. don't think I can, but I I think perhaps in terms of. I think perhaps in terms of my desire, I could. That's so, and that is, that, I mean, that is, that's basically that strange old thing about well, just because, just because you haven't had sex with a man doesn't mean, like, it's, it's a strange line. It's such an arbitrary line, isn't it? Exactly that, and that's like a kiss, enough tongue, you know, first base, second base. That's for American listeners. I don't know what they mean. What becomes like um, box tickable, heteronormative. Um, experiences of adolescent sexuality versus something which becomes more bicurious and it's the the complexity there it takes us to 
I'm now not talking about queer theory at all. I'm talking about the use of of of, um, of heterosexual and bisexual and homosexual being so totally limited. And these are um, nominal gradations which were fixed in the Victorian era. Yes. So we are stuck with that with that tick box of three options that that is based upon one of the most repressive periods in history and yet we still think oh this is a this is an okay way this, to this sums us up yeah um i was watching the drag queen trixie mattel talk uh, thank to... god thank god you've gone you've you you've got off the um, the documentaries yeah i was watching the drag queen trixie mattel talk to another drag queen katya oh. um and they were talking about the porn that they'd gotten into during lockdown and Trixie started to talk about how she'd been she'd started watching um bisexual porn and then she'd started to watch lesbian porn and then she'd started to watch women masturbating by themselves and bearing in mind Trixie Mattel is a gay man who's never had a fem- an experience with a uh, with a woman so that's uh, that's that's something that that Trixie says openly absolutely like it's, it's otherwise known. I would yeah, yeah I wouldn't know that information yeah. if Trixie hadn't said that in various podcasts and things yeah. like that so I think Trixie's real name is Brian Brian I want to say Furkis, but I can't quite remember I, I, if that's true. Sorry, it's just so great that Brian, yeah. you know, the, again, yeah. the degrees of separation between Brian and Trixie, it's so beautiful, so beautiful. But when Trixie is talking about watching women masturbate and masturbating to that and then saying, huh, maybe I'm not as gay, gay. as I thought I was. And that's coming from, you know, from a Kinsey six. <laughs> strong six. A strong six. And that becomes, for me, a really interesting discussion about the um the complexity of human sexuality hmm. and the lack of narratives that we have to be able to articulate it because well, we're lack stuck and be- nuance yeah because we're just- stuck behind these three boxes that, that do what that that serve to separate this is a very it's, long. Also, serve to separate from. in a way that doesn't need separation. Yeah, like there are some. Like to me, there are some kinds of ways in which, which uh, uh, I guess I'm going to call them labels or descriptors, which are uh, useful in the sense of they help us understand the way in which culture and societies are changing. Right, yeah. and maybe you could say that those are that they are these three that they're um, uh, how do you say they're rather um, they're crude. At best. Yeah, yeah. But is, is it possible to say that they also do give us some information about the way culture is changing, that when you tick that box, that, that more people are now ticking the bisexual box? Is it effectively becomes an indicator that our relationship to, let's say, attractiveness to gender or or, or genders is um, is changing in time? I think I think there is probably something there. Absolutely. But I, I think what brought us in was that idea of, the way the people at the march, there is this soup of oh yeah, we were at Extinction Rebellion, yeah, but and but we were also we got to Extinction Rebellion through the soup of the Freedom March mm. that you you talked about there being people that were you just couldn't you couldn't say it's this kind of person yeah they were and the way they were dressed everything was they were uniquely diverse yeah I just have to go and shut the door because Jeff just opened it I'll be one second cool. It's tempting to say something which you can't possibly leave out, which refers to all the things that we've been talking about. But I can't do that. I'm just not clever enough. So, oh. 
Something about Kinsey Six. Kinsey, I keep saying it wrong. Ugh. What? What? What are you saying wrong? Ugh, I just keep saying Kinsey, and not Kinsey. Uh, I think people will be fine. Yeah, I was trying to say something smart that you wouldn't be able to cut out, and then I was recognizing that I wasn't able to doing that. So I was, I was reflecting in real time of my about my lack of smartness. You'll, you'll hear it. I look forward to it. Um, and I know we kind of we we wandered off because your your dad was interested in in display. Yeah, and, and, the, and to... understanding the performance of marching. Yeah, yeah. And then you talked about the obnoxiousness of 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 thinking that Extinction Rebellion would, yeah, if they could learn from that. But I I do wonder if this is, again, something to do with the fact that as we put up, as as we self-define in particular ways, Mm. we find it less and less easy to accept difference into the grouping because we're all I don't know I don't really know how to I don't know how to articulate it Simon I'm I'm well it's it's it seems to me you're you're bumping around the extraordinary uh the the fact I guess I'll say as humans our social uh, sort of conditioning and the the nature of us being such powerfully social animals and that part of that way in which our sort of social underpinnings reveals itself is in is in identification with groups. And the yeah. most obvious one of those, and the most easily adjustable, other than changing your hair color, is the clothes we wear. Yeah. And it, it's it, you know, and that's curious in a way because it, it reminds me of I remember I remember my mother talking about how she liked school uniforms because they prevented that oh there's the nerds there's the sporties there's the right it 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 unified it didn't it stopped that kind of radical um division of people into and you also appreciate the other side of that argument but it's it's a really curious um tension i'll say it feels what we have at the moment is a version of we're all wearing the uniform of the school that we go to, though. Yes, exactly, exactly. That you know, we're, we're not displaying our difference. We're actually displaying our similarity and yeah. our our kind of the ubiquity of display in relationship to this kind of thinking. Yeah, and I think Extinction Rebellion, again, love them, but I think that they're the most exaggerated and heightened form of that uh, at the moment. Because they, because they look in a particular way. Yeah, they all look exactly the same. Sort of hair, everything. It's a, a uniform. They're effectively wearing a uniform. It's just okay. not brown suits. Right. So it's that what we might, what I think was articulate. And, and I'm, I'm asking this because I wasn't at an Extinction Rebellion meeting, and I live in a town where everybody, I think, looks the way that you're describing. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Lots of uh, rainbow. Um, you know, kind of uh, lots of reds. Uh, yeah. Lots of th- things dangling. So you are describing Totnes Market on a Saturday. I am. Which is, I am. Which is you know, which is probably why I think I find <laughs> I find that less. Um, I now find that a lot less arresting and a lot less um, irritating as an aesthetic because it's it's very normalised to me. Yeah, yeah. I don't. It's not that I. Again, I'm not. 
I'm not suggesting that it's there's anything wrong with the aesthetic. What I'm suggesting is that the you the uniformity of yes, it in a group the ubiquity means of that it's, aesthetic. it's not able to represent anyone except people who look like that and dress like that. I don't feel represented by them, even though I totally agree. I totally agree. But I'm I, they have not someone with a kind of squared off new backpack that has a little apartment for your water and you know basically a nerd yeah. backpack. I'm not yeah. in that group. Is that why Greta Thunberg has sort of managed to get such cultural penetration? I don't mean we that, can see I mean. ourselves in her. I mean, I, you know, I don't know in terms of you know the color of her skin and how it might be people to people who are you know who are brown and as they say bipocs who are um, you know thinking deeply about uh, climate change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do they see themselves in her like I see myself mm-hmm. in her as a young teenager? Even though you know, so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And she, yeah, I mean, we're getting right off track here. I don't, but or maybe not. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't. I so I'm tempted to follow that little lead there. But I, there's, but it's also it's such a strong. I think this thing about identity, and I when I, I use it in the sense of uh, not necessarily in the sense of politics, but in the sense of how it is that we see ourselves and how it is that we align ourselves with groups, is. It's so it's so profound and so powerful, and I, I just I, I and and I recognise that because of um, you know all those feelings that all of us will have had as teenagers, which is how do I fit in here? I don't yeah. want to fit in there. Like that yeah. that desire to fit in and just right. and, and it's also it's it's heartbreaking uh, when I see teenagers you know p- performing those games. And so clearly seeing them perform those games. And I get it. I don't, it's not that, it's heartbreaking in the sense of, oh, it would be so much easier if we didn't do that. But then we wouldn't be humans if we didn't do that. It sort of defines us, I guess, is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, I wish it didn't. I, um, and that's just the idea of, of, of it defining us and it being kind of like a, a necessary rite of passage. Oh. Makes me so itchy. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, because, also, I might be wrong. I don't. I'm not, uh, I think. Yeah, I kind of want to I'm be not wrong. Offering, really. Yeah, I'm not offering this as a critique of you. I'm saying it makes me feel itchy because I worry about all those kids who just think I can't see myself in this landscape, and therefore I have no value. And then they, you know, then they take their own lives, or they make an attempt to take their own lives. Oh. And, and that's, you know, that's at the. That just makes me go. I would like us to be able to negotiate humanity in a way that didn't make people oh. feel so invisible, so excluded. Because like you, it is heartbreaking to watch when you see the popular kids taking up so much space comfortably and the unpopular kids being made to reduce themselves. And I am not offering this here as a binary of right and wrong because I know that the popular kids are having to perform something. Doing all, they're playing the same game. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I know that 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 is not necessarily doing something which is better for their mental health or or they don't go home and, you know, want to stab things in their legs. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, and I'm this, I really mean this is a serious thing. Um, and I'm not trying to trivialize what you've just talked about at all, but there is a Bruce Springsteen song, um, called Glory Days. And it's, it's a, you know, it's him kind of going, you know, remember about this guy who was a high school uh, baseball star or whatever, and look at him now. And there's this kind of, and it's not his life's trash now, 
Um, but it is going, wow, those days, are they, are, they have their time and place and they don't necessarily define who it is that we become or who it is that we, uh, who it is that we are, you know. And, and it's something for me, I remember when I heard that as a teenager, so this is 1980, whatever, it came out 1985, maybe 84. So I was 16, 17, and I understood that this, I mean, what was he? He would have been in his mid-30s. Um, singing about that thing. So he was singing about it in, effectively to me in a way which was, uh, and I was going, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, it's not going to be like that. But I, there was a, yeah, so I, I don't know, I'm, you know, rabbiting on now, but yeah, that, and I don't mean to trivialize what you've just said because what you've said, and you, you can absolutely cut Bruce out again, but, um, <laughs> but, oh, it is so, so. I- I don't so think complex. you trivialized it, and I also don't think I want to cut Bruce out. I think there is the there's a um, there's a flip side of the uh, glory days yeah. narrative that Bruce Springsteen sings, which is the I don't know if it's an advertisement campaign. It, it will be in the show notes of the "It Gets Better" campaign that's in oh yes. that's been across the states, yeah, uh, which has been aimed at LGBTQIA plus yeah uh, youths yep. that. It gets better, yeah. And oh. both both of those for me feel problematic because oh. they're both saying the same thing, which is either this is a high point that you won't continue to keep, so you've got to think about that, or your or, time might still be yet to come. Exactly. Whereas, yeah. why do we why do we think it's okay to tell kids that you don't have to live in this moment? Yeah. It's shit now, or it's brilliant now. And it won't yeah. always be. But uh, I think I agree. I think I agree. Why, yeah. yeah. It, it just, we're, we're reducing the idea of being present and being kind to one another in this moment and giving space to difference in this moment and not saying, don't worry, because eventually you'll be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and you can shit on all those people who were mean to you when you were a kid. And it's like, fuck me, there's a lot of clear water between this moment here. It is the, it, it, I mean, I, I'm so I'm so reluctant. That campaign is such an, it's so interesting because it's my kind of um, instinctive responses to go, yeah, that's really, it's a really important thing to hear, right? Right, but it's it's a little bit it's akin to Imran Khan, who's the leader of Pakistan, recently um, had a go at uh, the women of Pakistan who were wearing um, not wearing long enough skirts yeah. that they were responsible for rape culture in Pakistan. Yeah, and it's a, it's akin to that. It's it's not why not why aren't we talking about why it's not good for these kids now? Yeah. Right. It's it's yeah. still it's it's deflecting from who is responsible for the pain. Yeah, absolutely. Inflicting the pain, and I, I it just why we cannot we always always focus on victims. And yeah. again, I get it in the sense of yes, we need to look after and take care of it. But really, it's all about the culture. Yeah, absolutely. The the, the it gets better narrative. It, it makes me think of a. There's a play called the Laramie Project, which is a, a piece of verbatim theatre. Yeah, what say the say the name again? Laramie, the Laramie yeah. Project. It's named after the town in somewhere well, in the Midwest, the middle. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where. But Wyoming. It's about, I'm guessing Wyoming. Oh, you're probably right. It sounds Wyomingy, but it's uh, it's the story of a of a student called Matthew Shepard, and he was murdered. And um, 
and the the kind of it's a it's a it's a beautiful piece i very rarely say plays are good because i you know it's not a form that i'm fond of but it's a beautiful play that you mean uh, verbatim or just plays in general no plays in general i find i often find plays a little overwritten for me because i've been brought up more on film and tv which has a a slightly less hyperbolic uh landscape i I sometimes struggle with the poetry of plays which is my problem not not plays problem but the laramie project (laughs) because it's a kind of a verbatim approach is is very grounded and, and real because it's real people's words um, but you pro- just, just, to, just to say, a verbatim uh, project is when uh, actors or directors take real words spoken by real people, and then they are yeah. re- uh, like in a almost like they've interviewed a whole lot of people, and then those yeah. they weave those into a narrative. I'm just yeah, trying to think of our, yeah. you know, that's that. Sorry, yes, of course, that's exactly yeah. that's a beautiful description of verbatim, and yeah. it kind of emerges as a form round about the mid 1960s. Um, oh, often, I didn't realize it was that old. Yeah, it comes about. I mean, there's arguments that it, it, it that it predates that, but I think the the form as we understand it comes about because of the easy accessibility to handheld recording devices. So huh. you could go out technological into the field. Uh, affordances. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. There's a strong connection between technological affordances and the development of of, of artistic product. British social realism in TV develops because of video the, cameras. Uh, the, no, actually, it's the 16 millimeter camera. Ah. The 16mm film camera, uh, Ken Loach takes one out and does Kathy Come Home. Kathy Come Home as a result of, of talking Not about... Not 8mm, you're talking 16mm, No, 16mm, yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 16mm, yeah. yeah. Um, and he, he, does the, he does Kathy Come Home, which puts, shines a light on homelessness. And it's from that film that Shelter happens. So we've got this brilliant sort of interconnection between uh, the critical mass of technology the artistic use of it and then the impact on social uh, social conditions you're it's, it's... very well you're a very knowledgeable person lee miller and your voice is amazing can i just say you've got <laughs> the up. best voice for podcasts shut up <laughs> no but you are like you know stuff man i i, I well yeah i about theater it, I was going to say, I kind of, sh- I kind of should know some stuff, but the Laramie Project, <laughs> Thank for you. me, is one of those things that gives lie to the received wisdom of it gets better because this is a guy who I think ends up being it's it's horrifying, but I think he end, ends up being hung on a fence. I think I can't. It's 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 grim. Oh. It's graphic. It's horrifying. How do you tell his family, his friends that? it gets better because that is a piece of homophobic hate crime right there. And it doesn't get better, actually. And it doesn't get better. It doesn't get better for them. It doesn't get better for that community. I mean, in lots of ways, the... The trauma's embedded in 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 the community. Absolutely. And if we just say it gets better, we we are constantly deferring the conversation. We're constantly putting it off. And it's that's the flip side of glory days. Because it's the same. It's the same conversation. I think. I think you're right. I think you're right. And again, I'm. I'm. I, I don't listen to Glory Days a lot now. I, I also don't want to defend it, but in the sense Ooh. that because at the time, though, I remember it being so important that idea that it, this is not how my life necessarily will be. You know, there was something really important about that. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I totally appreciate the connection you've made with the uh, uh, "It Gets Better" campaign. And I, I don't think I'm. I don't. I. This is again where we get stuck because you know when we have conversations. It's not like we, we're saying neither either those things are necessarily bad. Exactly, because we get fixed in this sort of like, now I sound like I've said, it, it gets, gets better, better as a, a terrible ter- project. Which of course is not, glory- I know, yeah. No, 
I think both of them are incredibly important to remind us that w- who we are at high school is not who we are through our lives or in either direction. Either yeah. we have the potential to grow, yeah. but what it, what we miss then is if we're constantly in a process of recognising that the future is a different game, we don't attend to the moment that we're in. But I suppose that takes us back to climate emergency, doesn't it? And Ugh. Extinction Rebellion, that we're, we constantly push off the conversation down the road because well at the moment you know the forests aren't burning unless you happen to live where the forests are burning extinction rebellion is such it's just so interesting because it, again i'm just so so with it in terms of in the sense that this is an emergency and direct action needs to be taken now protest is so complex isn't it because i just have this sneaky suspicion that it actually turns people against the things they're wanting to do and so, I, and I never know. Then I just get in a whirlpool of mess about direct action and the nature of protest and and its value. Well, which I is think, a, yeah. oh, I think you just spoke a massive mouthful there, Simon. I'm Kennedy. so sorry, and I hope you cut it out because it no, might be too I, much. It feels that this is probably. I don't know. This is a conversation that I've really. It feels overdue. 